Because what I realized is prior to India, my life was a tali. And what a tali is, is a platter with segmented dishes. So British, Canadian, Fijian, Indian, well, in 11 years, I played in an Irish military pipe band. So there's a bit of Irish chutney mixed in there. <laughs> but everything was segmented. And that's what yeah. my life was like. Hmm. But by going to India and this epiphany I had is, no, I'm, I'm kitcherty. And what kitcherty is, is a rice dish that's a blend of flavors and spices. And it's the equivalent of, let's say, you making an omelet. You bring everything together, and that makes up your omelet. Everything together, that makes up your kitchery. All of my identity piece was, instead of being segmented, it's all together. And I think I found a lot of comfort in realizing I'm kitchery. Hello and welcome to Chasing Leviathan. I'm here with Dr. Uh, or Dr. Sam Fiara, <laughs> and uh, he is over the last 20 years ha has helped and supported 45 plus uh, not-for-profit organizations from um, establishing a strategic vision for engaging stakeholders to rolling up his sleeves and doing whatever work is needed. As a community activator, his passion is to inspire and motivate others in their personal and professional development through his many adventures and reflections on life's journey. It's about helping people establish and build their personal autobiography through storytelling. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, how can we find the extraordinary in the ordinary, especially through exploring our roots? Uh, Dr. Tiara, wonderful. <laughs> At this point, I'm just stuck with saying doctor. <laughs> it's stuck in my head. So I'm just going to... Um, yeah. Wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, really grateful. And uh, so thank you for coming in today. No, I appreciate and uh, being a part of this and being able to share insights. And yeah, no, I just wanted to clarify, not a doctor, don't have my PhD, uh, <laughs> do work in the academic field, but uh, equally at the same time, I think we are all doctors of life and uh, maybe we'll go with that one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so uh, as we talk about um, finding the extraordinary in the ordinary, uh, Talk to us a little bit about how exploring your own roots um, sure. and just how you got interested in personal storytelling and forming identity in who we are rather than what we do. Oh, how did that journey start for you? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the easiest way for me to describe it is I think that many times uh, or many people go through life in autopilot. <clears throat> I think that we wind up going into a position after we graduate or move into a position and a job, and we just go through life in autopilot and things begin to start feeling ordinary because it's routine. Wake mm. up in the morning, we have a routine, we go to work, we do what we do. There may be moments in the day where things might shift and change, but for the most part, it's ordinary. What I've always said is embedded in the ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences. And what we need to do is engage and see how we can discover the extraordinary out of the ordinary. And what happened and how this all came about is I got to do my first TEDx speech. And when I was asked to present, people said, well, look, you're, you're a storyteller. And how can I tell great stories or how can I share stories? And I thought, 
Well, part of it is this essence of, you know, looking at things from a different lens and realizing the significance of things more than what they are. And what I did with for my TEDx speech then for that topic mm. about the extraordinary and the ordinary is I came up and I said, okay, let me break it down how I do the story sharing or storytelling. Yeah. And I came up with five words that becomes the acronym of CARPE, as in CARPE Diem. What CARPE stands for and what I do and how I share this idea of discovering the extraordinary and the ordinary are those five things. So C stands for curiosity. A is appreciation. R is reflection. P is perspectives. And E is experience. So if you embrace those five things in a sequential order, it enables you to discover the extraordinary and the ordinary. And I'll give you an example. Mm. And I'll, I'll expand on it. So curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity is all about this idea of realizing, going with your lens or your radar open with regards to what you may encounter. So, for example, I remember when I was walking towards the university one day, there was a door and the door was propped open with a wooden wedge doorstop. I stopped and I started looking at this doorstop. There's the curiosity piece. I mean, everybody else just walks through the door. I stopped. So curiosity stops you. A is appreciation. We appreciate things, situations, or people for more than what they are. And to me, that appreciation standing there was looking at this doorstop and appreciating it for more than what it's doing. Mm. The R starts to kick in, which is reflection, because then I'm standing there and reflecting and thinking deeper about this. And it was all, I think it's funny because I'm sure people are watching from their office going, well, is he going to come in or no? What's, is he okay? Like, why is he standing with the door <laughs> looking down? Yeah. And then the perspectives kick in, which complements the reflection. Reflection is where you start adding purpose and meaning and perspectives are what we hold as, you know, what matters to us. And it suddenly hit me while I was standing there after going through this process, the doorstop holds the door open. It's what its mm. function is. Yeah. But then what about the people in my lives, if people in my life that have held the door open for me, they become my doorstop. Mm. I would never call them a doorstop. Now they don't, and they always say open the door, but it's not a matter of just opening the door. It's holding that door open. And that's what the doorstop does. So you always have to clarify, you would never call someone a doorstop. Yeah, 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 yeah right. But, I'm imagining that's in my head. Yes, go yeah, ahead. No, exactly. Yeah. You know what, PJ, you are a wooden wedge doorstop and I'm just going to stop there and I'm going to walk away. Yeah, exactly. Would, uh, no, yeah, yeah. My wife would definitely punch me in the arm. Yeah. That's <laughs> if I called her like, honey, you're just such a doorstop for me. Like, I just, I, know, yeah, I don't think that would go over well. So that's where uh, the perspectives enabled me to see it and make it extraordinary now. And the experience, which is the last part, is capturing and cataloging it as a story. Because mm. if you don't catalog it as an experience, mm. it dies an untimely death. Think of it this way, PJ. How many times maybe we drive to work or we walk to work? What if you took a different pathway today? Or what right. if you, you know, maybe sort of walked onto a different floor or 
you know, as you're deciding to go to the grocery store, maybe you find something else to pick up instead of what the usual would be. That's discovering that extraordinary in the ordinary. Mm. And that's how I go about building stories and providing people the insights. Now, I also like to share this word because, you know, we all understand storytelling. I like to use the word story sharing. And the reason I like that word better than storytelling, storytelling is what I do in class. I tell my stories to a classroom of people who are sitting there listening. Story sharing is where we sit down, have a conversation, and I may share a story with you, but equally then use, oh, well, let me tell you about the time this happened. And mm. now we actually engage in a beautiful conversation. PJ, the world needs more conversations. And, you know, story sharing is the way we do this as opposed to storytelling. Mm. So that provides you a glimpse of the extraordinary in the ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, I love that uh, point about story sharing mm -hmm. because it makes it, it ultimately becomes a form of dialogue, but you're mm -hmm. sharing experience, uh, which also uh, means that you're building community at the same time. It's not like pure argument back and forth. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah. How do you cultivate? Because it seems to me in many ways that first step is the most important mm -hmm. uh, because it triggers everything else. How do you cultivate curiosity so that you can have, uh, honestly, it seems like these moments of self-awareness, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And I think it, it's a mindset that you have to put yourself into that, uh, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, you see a Lego piece and you're suddenly like, okay, okay, let me think about this. How can I build this into the carpe principle? Although I can, I can do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's funny because I do that all the time. I mean, I take an eraser and I was talking to somebody about a pencil and they were talking about, you know, pencil does this. I said, but the eraser is also important because if you make mistakes in life, you can erase those mistakes. They're like, mm. wow, I never thought of that. So I go through life in that regard, but I get your point. And I think that it's developing and, and working like anything as a muscle, mm. this aspect of curiosity. And it's about exploring and asking questions. But also the important question is putting in the why. Why is it important? Why, you know, do this? So the why part and the other parts are also how, where, because like asking those questions becomes the curiosity. And like I said, it's about building that into your mindset to say, you know what, today I'm going to take a different pathway. Uh, you know what, today I'm going to try, like when it comes to course registrations, I'm going to try this other course that I've never really thought about and maybe see where it goes. So curiosity is really getting the mindset of being open to experiences, going out to share or talk to people and learning. But I also liked what you said earlier about that listening piece. I think that that's a, that's a very important component of all of this is listening to what people say, but also listening to yourself. Mm. And, you know, how does this impact you? And I always think it's it, it's interesting because I talk about perspectives and the importance of perspectives, because that's part of the carpe. But we carry our perspectives as truths. Yeah. But they're not truths. They're truths to us, but they may not be truths to the rest of the world or the people around us. We only 
maybe have our perspectives of the people around us. And I'll give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. I've traveled to the Middle East numerous times for work. And I remember the very first time I went to the Middle East, people were like, you're crazy. It's dangerous. Haven't you ever watched the news? And PJ, I was landing in Kuwait, which is right next to Iraq, and Iraq was going through major upheaval. And they were like, you could be kidnapped. There could be terrorism. This, it's so dangerous. You should not be going. Well, I, I went. Curiosity took me there. I wanted, yeah. I'm working, but curiosity took me there. I want to learn about this place. Yeah. And you know what? When I came back, people said, so what did, was it dangerous? I said, oh my gosh, extremely dangerous. And they're like, really, what did you see? What, what did you experience? I said, I tried to cross the road and it was so dangerous. And they're like, <laughs> what about the terrorism? What about the bombings, kidnappings? I said, no. do you know that it's safer for me or even you, PJ, yeah. to walk around Bahrain at midnight than it is for me to walk around where I am? And people are like, <laughs> are you kidding me? And I said, no, you need to experience. And that's, that's all part yeah. of this carpe piece is this experience. But PJ, I will warn you, there is something very dangerous that I did encounter in the Middle East. Okay. Yes. And what that was is I finished speaking at a conference on Thursday and yeah. I'm leaving on a Saturday. But one of the conference organizers, a, a wonderful young woman, uh, just I'm so inspired by her because of how much she's accomplished. She actually just finished an ultra marathon of 100 kilometers in one go. Oh, those those people are crazy. I've read about that stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with Haruki Murakami. Yeah. But uh, he did one of those and he was describing it. And I was just. But yeah, continue. PJ, it's crazy to me. We're talking about Bahrain. It's not cold there either. Right. Right. <laughs> so anyways, um, so she said, you know what? On Friday, I'm going to pick you up from your hotel in the morning or whatnot. And we'll tour around Bahrain and I'll show you my country. And I thought, well, no, that's perfect. Well, she came and picked me up and I walked up to the car and she just said, Sam, I'm so sorry, but plans have changed. And I said, oh, well, don't worry. If you have to go and do your yeah. errands, I'll go find something to do. No, no, no. My mom says I have to bring you home for lunch. <laughs> PJ, I've got a mother who's cooked all yeah. day. Yep. An empty plate in front of me. She's yeah. got the spoon and yeah. she wants to feed me. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's break down these perspectives that we hold on to and engage in a conversation with, and that again is the curiosity piece that mm -hmm. may be different from us and learn from each other. I mean, that's where the whole carpe principle works and activates as well is curiosity says, you know, this person who's dressed differently than me, you know, maybe I need to talk to them. Appreci yeah. Then in that conversation, appreciate who they are and share your background and yeah. reflect on what they say. And then maybe challenge your perspectives, but you walk away with a wonderful friendship now. And that's your experience. Right. That's another yeah. example. Some incredible food too. Oh man. Um, Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, those cultures where uh, how much you eat is how much like honor you give. Yeah, yeah, that's that is dangerous. <laughs> oh, Agreed, no. PJ. But the caution. <laughs> this is my tip to your audience: if you're ever in yeah. a situation, yeah, how you reduce the danger factor is eat very slowly. Yes, that's the recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> 
which I'm I'm terrible at eating slowly. Anyways, I always get in trouble with my wife for that. And so it's like you know, uh, we actually live in a uh, multi generational house mm-hmm. with my parents. Right. So my mom and my wife are like, eat slower. You know, like you're gonna ruin your digestion. Oh, no. And uh, so. I'll just probably stay away from that because I know that uh, it would end up. <laughs> or go with go would, with me. I'll be. I'll yes, slap your yes. wrist. PJ, slow yes, down. exactly. Slow <laughs> like you, you can't. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. Um, <laughs> awesome. The yeah. uh, so and you you talked a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, came up a little bit. Mm-hmm. What are the advantages of? Um, narrative over like fact-based mm-hmm. uh yeah ways of knowing so in this <clears throat> case uh you know for instance uh what we see on mass media mm-hmm. versus personal right uh personal relationships mm-hmm. uh, well and i think to your point it's the narrative versus facts i always find that uh when i'm speaking at conferences or teaching my class i use a lot of narratives mm-hmm. because People relate to narratives a lot better than if they related to facts and figures. Yeah. They're not going to remember facts and figures, but they're going to remember the stories. And that's how, you know, it's important to be sharing those stories with each other because that's where the narrative actually, you can throw in the facts to align to those narratives. Right. And next thing you know, as opposed to having them segmented and separated, but I always find for the most part, whenever I'm teaching a class or speaking, it's the narratives that really people are connecting to. Yes. And that's where, you know, through that first TEDx speech that I delivered on personal storytelling and discover that extraordinary in the ordinary is the fact that we all have these stories and we're all sharing. We should be sharing our stories because these are experiences. And no matter who you are, your experiences are insightful and your experiences are going to support. But the key thing is, as long as you're not shifting it, and in other words, pushing your perspectives or your biases, but open dialogue. And that's why, for example, uh, the story I just shared with you about going to the Middle East, I've shared that with people and people are like, you mean it's not that dangerous? I said, of course not. I mean, you you got to be respectful wherever you travel in the world, not just to the Middle right. East. Right. But then all of a sudden people are like, well, you know, maybe I should actually visit. But I've also been in the presence of people and sit across from them and they'll give their reason. They'll be like, nope, I will never go to any of those Middle Eastern countries. And they'll, they'll give hmm. a reason or whatever. And I said, well, two things I think that are really important. One, I don't think you'll really understand what you're going to be missing because mm. of the of the of the culture the the people the food and all of that i don't think you're going to be um unfortunately you're going to miss out on that but the second thing is i don't think people are sitting there waiting for you to arrive so i think you're okay if you don't come to the middle east and <laughs> and i do tell them that because when they yeah. tell me this i'm like no i'm sorry but it's okay you're not the main character. Like they have their own lives, their own plot lines. And yeah. Yep. Uh, which is, it, it is funny how, like when you say that most people will agree, mm-hmm. right? Like probably 99.9% of people agree, but nobody acts that way. It's like, yeah. well, I've never visited the middle East. And it's like, honestly, nobody cares. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really okay. It's like, okay. Yeah. And if you never go, that's also okay. Yeah. Like it's like not that mother is not sitting there with a spoon waiting for you to arrive. <laughs> 
You know? Yeah, you have to become part of their story before that happens, right? Totally. Where you get that kind of invite. Yeah. Um, awesome. The mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So, and you talked about, uh, when we talked to, about a month or two back, and, yeah. you know, this, uh, obviously this interview has been some time in coming. Uh, you talked about, you took some time to explore yeah. your own roots. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that was like? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I'm a British-born Canadian. Parents are come from Fiji Islands, which is near Australia. And my grandfathers were from India. And same with mm. my ancestors. And it's not uncommon for people to just ask me, what part of India are you from? Because vis <laughs> visibly, that's where I look like. I, I, I'm Indian. And I said, right. well, I was born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, no, your parents, what part of India are they from? <laughs> I'm like, well, my parents come from Fiji Islands. And they're like, wait, are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my <laughs> grandfathers come from India. <laughs> but then PJ, the reply back from others is, yeah. no, you're not Indian, you're Canadian. I mean, and I also get the people, after I explain, yeah. I'm a British-born Canadian with parents from Fiji and grandparents from India, they're like, yeah. Really, where are you from? I'm like, planet Earth is a good start. <laughs> oh, but they ask. Yeah, so far we don't have anyone born outside of that. So that's. <laughs> so it's an interesting. I struggled with this idea of identity. Yeah. Because, like I said, visibly I'm Indian, but you know, growing up in Canada, I mean, I I see myself as Canadian. I mean, I'm yeah. British as well because, you know, that's my birthplace and my parents from hmm. Fiji. So I, I really connect to that place. And it, it's always interesting because being Canadian, I mean, yeah, I mean, we play hockey and, uh, you know, we uh, eat hot dogs and pizza. And, you know, when we scrape our knees, we bleed maple syrup. I mean, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm Canadian. Um, yeah. But what's really interesting, though, is this whole aspect of identity, which I struggled with. And I remember... You know, and my parents never hid mm. this identity piece or said, oh, you're Canadian and you now have to act Canadian. We just yeah. all got busy in our lives. And I went to a school. There was only five visible minorities in, in my entire high school and the rest were all mm. white Canadians. Yeah. And I remember it, at that point in my time in my life, and I write about it in this book. I was embarrassed by my given name, which is Ajit. Ajit is an Indian name, which means unconquerable. And my parents didn't start calling me Sam because they're like, you're in Canada, you need a Canadian name. In England, they just started calling me Sam and it stuck. And it was so hmm. I, but I would always run into the classroom before the, the semester started. And I tell the teacher, look, there's a mistake. Uh, you'll see a Jeet Thiara. It's actually Sam. Um, and, you know, I was embarrassed by that because it's like, okay, hmm. PJ, Sue, Steve, yes, Ajit, and people are like, Ajit, what the heck is that? Right. But it's when I got to university, I suddenly felt um, that I was missing something because I was in a much more global audience. And people from India, Pakistan, Asia, Africa, people from around the world were now sharing their culture. And I realized I was missing out. Hmm. So I decided a number of years ago to go on a journey. Because mm -hmm. my grandfather left India when he was about 17 years old, probably around 1900, 1905, and wound up in Fiji. And then my father, my mom moved to England where I was born. So we were quite disconnected from our roots back to India. And I just remember saying to my wife, I said, you know, I'd really like to go back to India 
And part of it is not, I didn't tell her, well, part of it is I want to discover this identity. But I said, you know, nobody knows where our village is. And I, I love a good chase. I love a good hunt. Yeah. And a good story. And I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go to India. I started asking relatives and people, I said, okay, tell me something about our ancestors. And they started sharing stories and things. Two days before I left, I got a, a faded photograph of the people from my village. And this is about a three and a half by three and a half inch picture. It's faded, dingy orange. But the people in the picture are, are my village, my village yeah. people, but uh, they all, not the group, but they are the right, village right. people. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's, a, I, so I had a picture to go by and very little information. And it was the best way for me to describe it is I'm a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me in search of a mm. needle in a haystack, but not knowing where the haystack was. Yeah. So India was amazing because nothing ever prepares you for India. Like I've traveled to many places, but nothing will ever prepare you for India. And I remember getting off the plane in India with my wife and the airport is very much like any other airport. You know, you proceed along, you go through customs, immigration, collect your bag. And I just remember, and again, I write about this in my book. You're now going towards the door where green means exit, red means, okay, we need to go through the six other secondary check. And I remember we were approved. We went through, walked towards the green exit. And I just remember hearing this noise. And every step we took, it got louder and louder and louder. And the door opened. And now we are in India. And I remember standing on the doorway and the door, you know, op closes, opens, closes, opens. We're standing there. And there was literally a thousand people. And the noise was deafening. There yeah. was a guardrail on either side with a thousand people all with placards or, you know, taxi drivers calling to you saying, oh, where do you need to go? And and I just remember saying, oh, my gosh, what have we just gotten ourselves into? Yeah. And, you know, with a thousand people, you have no idea where your driver is. Because normally yeah. when I get off at an airport, you know, maybe you've got 15, 20, maybe 30 people around and you can see a name. Yeah, at most, right? Yeah. No, no. We had about 500 name cards. <laughs> and PJ, PJ, I felt like Moses in the Red Sea because <laughs> we're parted between these people. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I told my wife, you look to the left. I'm looking to the right. And we're walking slowly. And finally, I saw a guy holding a sign. The name was spelled wrong. And I said, I don't care. We're going with him. So we wound up going with him. It turned out he was our driver, but, um, you know, yeah, he had our name spelled it. Yeah. And yep. I was just like, okay. But that really introduced me to India. And, you know, then you, you start going through this part about, okay, let well, our luggage never arrived. That was another part of this adventure. <laughs> and, um, you know, so you're here. The thrill of the chase, right? Yeah. Oh, man, tell me about it. I feel like <laughs> the amazing race was happening in my life. Um, but it was like, Okay, let me embrace this place. So that yeah. carpe kicked in. Yeah. And I tell you, PJ, there were euphoric moments and there were there were lows. Like the poverty mm. was unbelievable. So hard, yeah. so difficult because yeah. you can't do anything about the poverty. And the thing I found with the poverty is, you know, the resilience in the people was what I really 
in appreciated. I mean, they'd have very little, and yet they seemed still not happy, but resilient mm. and content, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, but that was really difficult for me. And think of it this way. They have worries. Yeah. We have worries, but our worries are yep. more superficial compared to theirs. You know, yeah. and but we put so much emphasis on our worries. Anyways, the way that I discovered my identity, though, is I mm. remember, you know, halfway through this journey, uh, I remember just waking up as an, at 4 a.m. And, and like an epiphany just hit me. Because what I realized is prior to India, my life was a tali. And what a tali is, is a platter with segmented dishes. So British, Canadian, Fijian, Indian. Well, in 11 years, I played in an Irish military pipe band. So there's a bit of Irish chutney mixed in there. <laughs> but everything was segmented. And that's what yeah. my life was like. Hmm. But by going to India and this epiphany I had is, no, I'm, I'm kitchery. And what kitchery is, is a rice dish that's a blend of flavors and spices. And it's the equivalent of, let's say, you making an omelet. You bring everything together, and that makes up your omelet. Everything together, that makes up your kitchery. All of my identity piece was, instead of being segmented, it's all together. And I think I found a lot of comfort in realizing I'm kitchery. And the, yeah. and the beauty in this is when I talk to people, and they don't even have to be from India. I've talked to people from Croatia, Sicily, from China. And I love what they say. They always say, oh, my gosh, I'm kitchery. And um, it's like, we're all kitchery. We're all a blend of flavors. Yeah. So that was the identity piece. But then the other part of the journey, obviously, was about finding my grounding, my ancestral roots. And again, I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. And this was ambiguity and uncertainty at the extreme level, because all I had was that faded photograph, very little information. But yeah. I also had a lot of noise around me telling me, you know, why are you looking? It's not that important right. or, yeah. you know, you're not going to get a good reception, even if you should by somehow find it or people right. may be wondering, why are you here? And maybe you're here because you want to make a land claim for your grandfather's side of the family. Ah, And I'm like, well, let's cross those bridges when we get there. And, you yeah. know, it wasn't an easy search. And I just remember, you know, with the limited information I had, we had the name of the district, the name of the uh, the town it was near, and the name of the village. But yeah. people had said, never heard of it. We know the district, we know the town, but never heard of the village. Maybe it's wrong. And then hmm. somebody gave me some information that uh, they had gone to India, my step cousin. He said, I went to the town, but didn't find the village, but the name of the village is something else. And I managed to find something on a map that was similar to what he had explained. And we went to that place. Yeah. And I write about it in my journal. Yeah. Here you are showing up to someone's house or there's a group of people there saying, by the way, are yeah. you part of my family? And you have a yes. picture. Yeah. And they're looking at the picture and they're like, well, I don't know the house, but there's a guy in the picture. And I think his house is over this way. So somebody yeah. gets into our vehicle, we drive to a house. And, and, you know, if you read my journal, it says, you know, um, anticipation, excitement. Am I, am I really here? Yeah. Until you get there and somebody just walks out, they look at the picture and they shake their head going like, no, this isn't the house. 
And we did this about five times where people would get into our vehicle, 10 people come out of a house or place in the vicinity, look at the picture and say, no, this isn't it. Yeah. I went back to my hotel that day and I, because we were defeated that day. Yeah. And I, and I phoned my dad and I said, look, um, we tried, it didn't work. I'm not sure what to do next. And my father said, look, just, you've done a lot, experience India and enjoy yourself. Yeah. But I told myself, no, I'm not giving up. Um, You know, part of, for two reasons. And again, I share this in my book. One is the ancestral roots is only connected by a thin thread. And if Mm. I don't do this, that thread breaks and we will never find our ancestral roots. Yeah. Yeah. The other part is- It just gets harder. Oh, right. It it does. And it was hard enough based on what I had. Right. Right. It's not going to get easier as like you, you lose the living uh, memories as well. Yeah. Uh, what's it, what's the name of your book, by the way? Oh, uh, the, the book, apologize for not mentioning it. Oh no, no. The book is called lost and found seeking the past and finding myself. And I'm just holding it up here. Yeah. But the absolutely. idea, yeah, it's, it's um, lost and found seeking the past. Cause I was seeking yeah. my ancestral roots and finding myself yeah. the, the identity piece. But um uh, you know, my father said, don't worry about it. The next day, my driver came back and I just said, forget what everyone told me. Let's just get to the town that's supposed to be near the village and ask people. Yeah. And again, people had, even in the town, nope, never heard of it. Uh, you know, I think you're wrong. And finally, one guy said, actually, I heard that the town, or sorry, the village is actually up this road. And, you know, it's about five miles up this road. But I'm very guarded at this point in my journal. I put down, okay, here we go again. Right. Well, we drive up this road and about five miles up this road, there's an archway. And this old man is seated there. No glasses. He's just staring at the ground. Probably not the most assertive sentry at the gate, I guess you could say. But uh, he suddenly uh, looked up and we showed him the picture. He goes, well, I don't know about the house. Uh, there's a guy in the picture in the back. He looks like so-and-so. And again, I write in my journal, here we go again. And he gets right, into right. a vehicle. But PJ, this guy was so old. The picture is so faded. And I'm like, no glasses, no nothing. How can he even right. make, I can't make people out. Yeah. Well, we drive to a house and he's got the photograph. He walks up the, the walkway and people come out of the house. And again, here we go again. Yeah. And I just remember um, sitting there. And I just still remember overhearing the words because in this picture, there's a, this woman with a white shawl. Yeah. And, you know, this woman basically says, that's me in the picture. Who are you? And, you know, basically from that standpoint, I was like, wait, wait, did I hear this correctly? This is you yeah. in the picture. She yeah. goes, yes, but who are you? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, when, and then I explained my grandfather, and yeah. all of a sudden, the tears started streaming, and we hugged because I had found my grandfather's house. Yeah. And it's my grandfather's older brother's family that I was now interacting with, <clears throat> which oh, we were disconnected. Awesome. Yeah. But PJ, I went with uh, persistence, and I went with this mindset of curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, experience. And... I took Ziploc bags with me to India in the hopes that this moment would happen. I walked into the fields in front of the house. I scooped up dirt and I brought the dirt home to my family. So my father has the village. He's got um, parts where his father had left from. 
and I was able to reconnect with our ancestral roots in this village. I mean, I hate to say that I gave you the spoiler alert that I found the village, but really what's important in all of this is the journey to realize. Right. And, it, it you know, it's one of those moments in life where, you know, I think that, you know, there was some cosmic intervention that basically said, you know what, I'm going to make it hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here you go. And I've had conversations with a lot of people and, you know, they'll say, you know what, uh, I'll never find my roots or my house. And, you know, there was a gentleman from Sicily, for example, and he said, you know what, we're so far removed. Um, and I said, OK, but here's the thing. Have you been to Sicily? And he said, yeah, yeah, no, I went to Sicily. Wanted to explore and, and think about it. I said, when you were in Sicily, was there something that connected you to this place? Mm. He said, you know what? Yeah. Because I know my ancestors were here. I didn't find the house or the village or the town. But just knowing that this is where my ancestors were from connected me to this place. And I said, well, it's no different than the lost and found seeking the past and finding myself. This is part of you. Yeah. Now, I was just fortunate I found the house yeah. and relatives. But for anybody, knowing that, you know, this is part of where I'm from, all of a sudden that connects you to a place that connects you. And, you know, it, it is part of who you are and embrace that. But then again, that goes back to that carpe principle of curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives and experiences. So that's a story. Yeah. Oh, and it's a, and it's a great story. Um, but what sticks out to me, you were talking about, and forgive me, I don't remember, mm -hmm. I, I don't remember the first dish, but the second dish is kichiri. Kichiri. Oh, uh, the tali, the tali is the platter. The tali. Yes. T-H-A-L-I is the platter. And kichiri is the rice dish that, which we're all kichiri. Right. And I think even as you're talking about, uh, some of the solutions that you provide here, mm -hmm. um, as a, a West, like the Western civilization uh, has been taught to compartmentalize, mm -hmm. right? Like in many ways, the scientific method is king. Mm -hmm. And so many people, uh, in order to understand themselves, feel the need to dissect into, well, I'm this and I'm this. But by focusing on narrative, mm -hmm. uh, you're able to create wholeness. Yes. And you're able to create a whole identity by bringing everything together and not looking at it as like, when someone asks, well, and this goes back to your, your point about sharing the story. Well, I'm Indian, Fijian, yep. British, and Canadian. And said saying, <laughs> my grandfather left India when he was mm -hmm. 17. And then my mm -hmm. parents lived in Fiji. They moved to mm -hmm. Britain and then they moved to Canada and creating that continuous story yeah. that just, and at the end, it's like, where are you from? I'm like, I just told you it's the story. I shared the story, yeah. right? It's not about, uh, and because everyone's going to be, especially as we um, have become more globalized, there's a lot more migration happening. And oh yeah, uh, yeah, and you, you ha we have to be able to deal with this. Uh, I mean, this really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm definitely American mutt. Um, <laughs> You're kitchen, you know? Yeah, very much so. Um, uh, but even as you were talking about this. Uh, and, I, and I'm curious to see, mm -hmm. uh, I think there are, there are some parallels, but um, the, the phrase that came to my mind, um, my mom was adopted. Okay. And so we had, I mean, literally when I say American mutt, like there was like, 
There was nothing, right? Like she, mm-hmm. like we, uh, we had no idea, and she never really felt the need to pursue uh, and find her um, mm-hmm. biological family. And then uh, her sister bought her twenty three and Me, right? Right, which is like this is how, like I mean, so many of these stories are happening, and she finds out that. Um, and I don't need to go into all the yeah. necessarily sordid details, but basically she had family in North Carolina and they, uh, and something happened, didn't go well. The mom dropped her off in Florida. Mm. And, uh, we had some, uh, we weren't sure necessarily who, uh, her biological dad was. And then they said, I think it was this guy, but we don't know. Mm. And he had passed away. We don't have the DNA for him. And that, but they're like, but we do have a picture of the grandfather. And in high school, and it was the spitting image. Like most people are like, oh yeah, sure. And then I showed them to like, oh my goodness, spitting image of me looks just like me. I'm like, well, I don't think we need a DNA test. Like (laughs) it's like, that's three generations of like, literally like a mirror to my face, but it's so, um, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. I felt so much, um, it was so important to me that I recognized my own face Yeah, in the past. Why yeah. is that? Why do we feel that need to be recognized, to recognize ourselves in the past? And I think it's because, you know, I always use this quote. I said, in order to vision the future, we reflect on the past while standing on the crack. That's the present. Mm. I think uh, it also goes back to a little bit. Of, I want to share what you said, because I think we define ourselves by what? What I want to do is define people by who, and that's what mm. I do with my mentorship and a coaching programs is to to get people to start talking about who they are as opposed to yeah. what. And it's interesting because I also did the DNA testing, and uh, it was it was to me really interesting because it I thought you know I'm going to spend all this money to tell me I'm 100 percent Indian, right? Which actually it came up that you know, 60 some odd percent of me is from Nepal all the way through India to the province of Gujarat and 33% of me, Pakistan to Afghanistan, to the Persian border. But the more people who do the DNA testing, the more accurate it becomes. And the numbers have now flipped that 66% of my DNA is Pakistan, Afghanistan, Oman to the Persian border and 33% of my DNA is now describing Mm -hmm. it as Indian. But you have to also realize, again, it goes back to that whole idea, PJ, of segmentation, because back in those days, there wasn't this segmentation of India, Pakistan, Afghanistan. Those were lines people drew during colonization, which Mm -hmm. means it, it doesn't mean that I'm Afghani. It doesn't mean that I'm Pakistani or Indian, but it just means who are you is defined in that DNA. And what we need to do is embrace that part, you know, yeah. with regards to that. And, you know, I remember also much like what you said, I mean, when I got the DNA results back, it's also gives you your DNA uh, connections. And I remember seeing the yeah. first one, I'm like, well, that's my, my step cousin in California. Right. And I, yeah, s- yeah. I sent her an email saying, you do realize we are related. Cause I got the DNA test. She says, I didn't need one to tell me, but yes, no, I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what was interesting PJ is, Afterwards, another person emerged on, uh, ahead of her as even closer or just as close. And I was like, who's this person? Never heard yeah. of her. And she's got a Western yeah. name. Nothing Indian in her name. 
And I'm going like, hmm. how can she be more connected to me potentially or, or whatnot than this yeah. step cousin? So I contacted her and it turns out her father is my step cousin, but they don't know too much about that. But she is the direct descendant from our family. So she's my step niece. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. wow, this is really cool because now yeah. you're starting to fill the blanks in. But it goes back to what we've talked about is this whole idea of uh, the curiosity makes you go down this pathway, but then you have to be prepared for the results, but appreciate what the results are, but don't come in with those preconceived ideas. I'm excited about the fact of what I've found as a result of this and then the journey to India. But I also tell people, let's start to focus on who you are as opposed to what you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then knowing who we are mm-hmm. and uh, obviously just kind of uh, part of everything you've been saying here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you distinguish between uh, distinguish the ordinary from the extraordinary? Mm-hmm. How do you uh, and, and maybe that is that a feeling that you mm-hmm. catch or is that just merely a matter of perspective? How do you find uh, and how do you distinguish the extraordinary from the ordinary? I think it's just about going through life with your lens open and, uh, you know, being accepting of the things that are around you, but looking at it from a perspective of, you know, what's the meaning behind this or, you know, being introduced to somebody and having a conversation with them, you know, that's extraordinary. You know, it's always so funny because what I do is, uh, 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 this relates to what you were what you were saying, but um, I carry with me puzzle pieces. So yeah. I give puzzle pieces away to people, whether it's in my class, at conferences, or wherever. And the idea is the puzzle piece is ordinary because there's not yeah. much you can do with one piece. So PJ, if I give right. you this one piece of a jigsaw puzzle, what can <laughs> you do with one piece? Not much, right? I have to find somebody. Well, PJ... <laughs> this is what people feel like. They feel like that yeah. single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. They don't know where they fit yeah. in. They don't know what the bigger right. picture is. But what I tell people, and this is how I transform ordinary mm. into extraordinary, is I say, I have a satchel. In the satchel are my puzzle pieces. If I give this to you, do you realize my puzzle will never be complete without you? Do you realize how important you are to my puzzle? Hmm. And it's amazing. I see the transformation on people's faces because they're like, oh, my gosh. But this is where we we ordinary. We focus on what we see and just what's obvious. Yeah. But now let's think of it from a, a different perspective. And how we can make it. And what I love about this is I've given about 5000 pieces in the world to date to remind people how important they are. I've got people who just, I got a person who just sent me a note yesterday saying, I've taped this to a mirror. It reminds me every morning someone told me I mattered. And I've mm. had other people do this. It's, yeah. I've had people send me pictures of their wallet uh, with the picture, with the puzzle piece next to it saying, you still are with me. It's traveled in backpacks around the world. Wow. But that's how simple something like this can be. We yeah. don't need to overcomplicate things or life or situations but curiosity is what stopped me when i i had a gathering of people um probably about eight years ago at the launch of my first book and i just remember when they were coming to this event i thought what what can i do at this event and then 
you know, I just happened to see a puzzle and I thought that's the curiosity. It stopped me. And I started appreciating the puzzle for more than what it was, which is a box with pictures on it. And then I reflected on it. And that's where this idea of connectedness came in. And if I give people a piece of a jigsaw puzzle, but my perspectives meant connections and uh, this idea of converting it from ordinary to extraordinary, transformation from transactional, and then cataloging it as an experience. And now people come up to me saying, I heard you got puzzle pieces. Can you explain it? Can you give me one? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, anyways, that's just an example. Yeah. Yeah. Taking simple things, uh, recognizing, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, recognizing their uniqueness. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, um, it's really interesting as we, we even have mentioned several times about the compartmentalization that if you are, uh, it's reducing people Mm -hmm. to say, you know, Oh, I'm American mutt. Right. But instead to give the whole story, because every story is by definition going to be unique. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that, that goes to my signature quote, which is everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. You're a living story. People think their stories are not significant. And I'm, I'm like, no, I want to hear your story. I mean, we all have something to share. So I, and I, I'm actually part of a writing group. I'm working on a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate the, the holistic approach that you are talking about, like that wholeness of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as you reflect on your own story and as you help other people shape their stories, uh, how do you handle specific incidents? Are there specific moments or specific pieces of story, uh, either from your ancestral roots or even at, from your childhood to now mm-hmm. that uh, are like deciding moments in creating your story? Oh, absolutely. And the the best part of the carpe is the experience part. It's almost like I have a, a virtual filing cabinet So when I'm in a conversation with somebody, I'm then going into that virtual filing cabinet in my mind and pulling out a story or two. And the same thing happens in my classes or when I speak at a conference. It's that virtual uh, cabinet that I have there in my mind because I've cataloged them as experiences. And we've all got experiences, but we never have really captured them as experiences. So it's Mm. only when we sit down and I'd be like... uh, to get you activated in this, I'd say, so PJ, you know, I wouldn't just go up to PJ and say, well, tell me a story because people just suddenly deer in the headlights going like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> so whereas instead I'd be like, so PJ, you live in Florida. Tell me what it's like in Florida or yeah. what's the favorite vacation that you've taken or, you know, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. So, for example, if you and I met for the first time and we engage in a conversation, uh, you know. I know Sidney Poche passed away recently. I was very saddened by that because I, to mm. me, if somebody said, who is your favorite actor? Sidney Poche yeah. back in the day, like um, loved his acting. Even to this day, he is my most favorite actor. And I, there are four movies of his that I've watched. And I'd be like, well, have you seen any of these movies? Or who's your favorite actor? What yeah. type of movies do you like? And now that's where the conversation starts to happen or your favorite vacation. And we start pulling these stories Because now it's not only a matter of telling me, oh, yeah, my favorite story is. So, for example, for me, To Sir With Love by Sidney Poche is one of my favorite movies Mm. because as an educator, I really related to that story and how you 
try to transform people's minds and shift it. So that's where now you pull, well, why part of it emerges. So that's yes. a, that's a way that I think that we can build on that and, uh, you know, share with our experiences because we all have experiences. Yeah. Um, and I had a good question and I don't remember what it is. I got really excited about which I, I was trying to remember who Sidney Portier was. And I remembered in the heat of the night. <laughs> in the heat of the night, yes. They call which me, they really, call me really, Mr. Tibbs. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I have to confess. I don't know that I've, I've seen any of these. And so oh. now this is just a rebuke to me that I need to go see them because okay. I know they're really good. Okay. To serve with love. Yeah. Lilies of the field. Yes. Um, who's coming to dinner. And in the heat of the night, those four movies, they don't make movies like that anymore. Yeah, I, I know in the heat of the night, I'm familiar with I've seen clips of it because yeah. I mean, I know it was the, the TV series was correctly. Yeah, it was the first movie where a black man slapped a white man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a very you know, at the time. Oh, yeah. Provocative and powerful moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um. So if you, uh, as you're talking and you've given us a couple of steps, uh, mm -hmm. is there, are there any words mm -hmm. as we wrap up here sure. that you would leave, uh, our audience with? Well, and I think the, we've talked about the who over what, and when mm. I mentor and coach people, part of what, yes. how we discover who you are, because it's easy to just say, well, PJ, tell me who you are. And you're like, okay, what do you want to know? Yeah. I always say that there, for me, there are five things that guide and direct me in life. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Mm. Now, mm. what I always tell people is, but what are the five things that you are not willing to compromise in life and career? This is yeah. where I start figuring out who you are. Now, people right. would be afraid because... A lot of times people are nervous because they're like, well, you're making me pick five things. What if they're not the right words? I'm like, no, no, you right. change these as you grow yes. through life. As more experience, as more wisdom comes into your life, you change the words. The way that you find those five core elements is through reflection and introspection. I always, mm. in my sessions, will ask people, tell me about the job you currently have or a job you've had in the past. What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? But tell me why. What about when you were in school? What classes resonated and that you liked and didn't like? But tell me why. What do you like yeah. to do in your spare and social time? Why do you like to do that? So it's yeah. by going through the process of why you start finding these words. So, for example, it's not uncommon for someone to say, well, family is really important to me. And I'm like, OK, why is family important to you? And they're like, well, the relationships and the connectedness I have, and they go into details. I said, okay, after they tell me all that, I said, okay, bring me back to this word, these two words of relationships and connectedness. Does mm -hmm. that apply to your work environment? Oh, for sure. When you were in school, relationships and connectedness, did that matter? Oh, absolutely. What about in your spare time and social life? Does that, is that important? And they're like, oh, for sure. So can we replace family? with relationships and connectedness as one of the five things you are not willing to compromise. And they're like, yeah. oh, I get it. But yeah. see, the thing is, when you have those five things, you now have something to balance it against and clarity starts to emerge. Yeah. Because now you're starting to really focus on who you are 
as opposed to what you do. But that's the practical way that I can help people realize their significance. And out of that then emerges those stories and uh, the the confidence to move forward because they realize who they are or the realization that the job I'm doing is probably not what I should be doing. And, you know, then I'm like, okay, let's get off this train. Yeah. Let's get on a new one and let's, how do, but we don't just jump over to the next train. It's like, how do you build that into your life to shift and change? Right. Yeah. Right. Because you can't just disconnect your, mm-hmm. your story. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually I, I love this because you, you answered my question that I was, that I had forgotten, which was, uh, how do you make the interpretive choices about your story? Because yeah. that's going to be really important. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of the most liberating things you can do is to reinterpret yeah. failure, for instance. Oh, setbacks. And, right? Like, yeah, it becomes uh, it becomes like a part of this, like, epic quest. The hero's that, journey. Like, oh, yeah. Like, so for you, um, the fact that you persevered mm-hmm. makes that story better. Yeah. The fact that you went to seven, eight different villages. Mm-hmm. Um and so definitely, uh, I appreciate yeah. that you went there because that was, that was the question. Yeah. The, uh, and that finally, uh, yeah. just as a follow-up, do you find it really helpful, uh, to find those five elements in someone's roots in their history? Yeah. Not well, just their childhood, but behind that even. I, I think so, because I think it, 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 we are all a composition of everything. We, it just doesn't start with our birth. There's been a, you know, a lot of people before us that have carved yeah. a pathway that got us where we are today. You know, yeah. my grandfather leaving India, if he didn't leave India, I would still be there right now and not, never yeah. would have experienced any of these uh, things that have occurred in my life. So I think that it is important to, uh, as I said earlier, in order to vision the future, reflect on the past while standing on the crack that's the present. And that past isn't just my past. It's my father, my grandfather, my maternal grandparents and beyond mm. to pull what you can. But one thing I would bring in into this as well is yeah. anybody is ever interested in doing what I did, similar to that. Yeah. Start early. Don't wait till you've got people elderly because that information becomes very sparse and weak. Yes. Yeah. People pass away. They yep. get older. Their memories fade. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely awesome. Want to be respectful of your time, um, but uh, just really appreciated this. And uh, uh, it's really fantastic. Thank you for coming on. Uh, PJ, thank you so much for having me here. And I just want to leave your audience with that signature quote that I said, everyone's yes. life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. You're building your autobiography word by word paragraph by paragraph chapter sections it doesn't matter but you're building a story never feel your story is insignificant you are there to be shared yeah we're all we're all puzzle pieces we just have to find our puzzle that's it i love that that's great awesome thank you all the best <laughs>